0: Finally, they have my favorite Slayer X hydrate powder, which comes with or without sugar and varying strengths of electrolytes based on your individual needs. They can find those individual needs on the free quiz online at slayerx.com or with in-person testing like Patrick and I did at their headquarters on podcast episode number 114. Hydrate is the fuel that I use during the Blue Ridge Relay this year, and I recommend it for all of you as well. Slayer X products are 100% natural, come in great flavors, are vegan friendly, and the hydrate light is keto friendly. They've all been well researched and developed by a UGA food scientist who's also an Ironman athlete. The products are tested by the pros and endorsed by your fellow endurance athletes and hardworking folks in the community. The free sweat quiz and their products can be found at slayerx.com, on amazon.com, or at your local run and bike shop if it's available. You can use the code Pleasant22 for 10% off at their website. Thanks to SlayRx for sponsoring us. Y'all, give them a try. We appreciate our sponsors, and thanks to all of them for helping us bring you the Most Pleasant Exhaustion podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion podcast brought to you by ITL Coaching Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and Slay RX. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a father of twin
1: boys, and I'm a college professor.
2: My name is Michelle Frank. I'm also an endurance athlete here in Atlanta, Georgia. I am a CPA, and I am a mom of three girls.
1: And my name is Eric Hall. I'm an endurance athlete and coach in Raleigh, North Carolina. I'm the father to three teenagers, an engineer, And the husband to a beautiful wife, Melissa. Awesome. Very
0: good. We will be drawing on your engineering skills tonight because we are going to be talking about cold weather running. Um, It dawned on me that despite the fact that we have recorded at least two podcasts and we even put out one version or one episode of the podcast on two separate occasions all about warm weather... We never have actually had a podcast about cold weather running, um, and after my harrowing experience at the Mountain Mist 50K last week, um, and amidst my insane plans to potentially do it again next January, uh, presuming Power. of course, presuming of course that Mr. Hall joins us, um, and we already know of course that that uh, Miss Frank will be joining us. Um, I uh, I I want to talk a little bit more about cold weather running here, so um that's what we're gonna be spending the bulk of our time talking about tonight before we do that let's go around the horn real quick eric you ran a race
1: this past weekend what else is going on in your life man um not much because <laughs> that race took a lot out of me you know actually i've been uh, i have been doing something that the two of you convinced me to start doing back when we first started the podcast mm-hmm. you guys kept talking about disney plus Mm -hmm. and um in preparation for the race and then after the race because i really wasn't able to do much of anything (laughs) i binged watched all of the boba fett to catch up okay i went back and uh i finally finally got into wandavision and finished it and actually kind of enjoyed it (laughs) There you go.
2: Yeah, it was
0: pretty good. <laughs> WandaVision was good. I'm, I, Yeah, you texted me when you finished WandaVision. You're like, okay, I'm glad I stuck with it. And you're right, it was pretty good. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's super cool. And it has some neat tie-ins with Loki and a few other things as well. So, so yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what they do next uh, on Marvel there. But yeah, we're recording this on Wednesday night and we will finish this up and Michelle will promptly go to bed and I will join my wife downstairs and we will watch today's release of the Book of Boba Fett. So... Looking forward to that too. How did the race go? I mean, you said it wiped you
1: out. Uh, it went well. I mean, it went as well as it could. I was I was happy with the effort I put in. Um, it was a so it was the Okanichi Mountain Run, which is kind of funny, and I think they know that because Okanichi Mountain. I, I I wanted to check the elevation. It was less than 600 feet of elevation. I mean, from top to bottom, and you basically run a 5K out to the mountain on some greenway. And then you run three and a half miles on the mountain, up, down, up, down, all the way to the top, and then back down. And then you run that 5K back to the finish. And uh, it was interesting for a lot of reasons. One, we we had some snow and ice. So shoe choice was kind of difficult. And then you're running on this, like, really flat terrain that's bridges and asphalt and a little bit of dirt. And then you're on a mountain. So, again, shoe choice is a little um, a little weird, a little hard to figure out. I went with a, a pretty robust, um, my La sportiva Bushido twos, um, because I wanted to be able to handle the mountain. And when I had done my pre, uh, pre-race recon, it had been a little muddy. So they were really a good choice. Uh, not for the reason that I've got them for though. All the mud was frozen on the day of the race. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the start, I think the field, it was 14 degrees and the feels like was 12. That sounds amazing. Uh, it was pretty cold. So a good, a good segue into what we'll talk about a little bit later um, mm-hmm. about the cold weather clothes, but so all the mud was actually frozen, but what those shoes did allow me to do was really bomb the downhills. Cool. And um, that was important because with all the Zwift racing I've been doing and just, uh, I guess, you know, just getting back into that, my hamstrings and my glutes are pretty torn up. And they just weren't really the accumulated fatigue in them, which is the what George said it probably is, uh, is pretty high. And climbing was not my friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's I would. That's, that's, those are very similar challenges:
0: riding a bicycle and, and climbing up a steep hill. Yeah.
1: yeah. So I, I just put it in the low gear and kept going up the hill, you know, low geared all the way up the hill. And then as soon as I turned around, I was off to the races and oh, I, I was fun. probably the fastest I've ever run downhill. And this is, it's actually rather technical downhill. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was fun. I, cool. I really, you know, that was probably the most uh, enjoyable part of the race to me were, were the downhills. Awesome. And I, um, It was, there was like five or six guys up front that just took off. I mean, I I didn't even look at the results, but they were gone from the start. They finished well, probably well under an hour. And then the, um, then there was two of us that kind of ran together. And this guy, like, I think I passed him at the start, like early in the race. And then he passed me back on the mountain. He was like 130, 140 pound guy soaking wet and going up the hills. He just, just left me and then coming back down the mountain i just reeled him in reeled him in reeled him in and as we were leaving the park you have to go up this set of like 30 stairs and they're like the cross tie type stairs Mm -hmm. and he like mountain goaded up those (laughs) and he was gone And and then we had the flat section and i just kept watching him get further and further away oh but but small hometown race, so much fun, great people as they always, you know, always are in those types of races, really good environment. It was fun. It it was a lot of fun.
0: And you will be back at that venue again
1: in what a week, two weeks, a week and a half, something like that. In order to do the (laughs) relay race with Lee Ragsdale. Yeah. Friend of the podcast, Lee Ragsdale and I will be out there again on the Speedway. So the Okanichi Speedway is where the race started and right. we're going to do that 20K relay race out there. So that'll be fun. Things think his mom will be cheering us on. So I'm sure. Yeah. So Very good. She always, does. Um, she always does. Speaking
0: of bombing downhills, Michelle, Winter Olympics start tomorrow. Are you fired up?
2: I am fired up. <laughs> um. <laughs> I'm pretty excited to watch uh, the alpine skiing, but I think the ski jumping and moguls kind of started off. So it'll be a few days before we get to watch people, you know, uh, bombing down hills. Uh, (laughs) Interesting. It looks, I can't really figure it out. I haven't read enough about it, but it looks like it's freezing in Beijing, Mm. but the snow is all man-made snow. Okay. Which is fascinating to me. Um, And then, you know, there's some good stories and figure skating Mariah Bell's 25 and she just won her first uh, USA title like a few weeks ago and I followed Jason Brown for several years and this is kind of he would left he was left off the team in 2018 so thought he was going to walk away and then he made a comeback so that's a pretty good story but I just generally like the hype of the Olympics so mm-hmm. I'm excited to see the cross-country skiing I feel like ever since um, four years ago Jesse Diggins kind of brought a whole new world of <laughs> respect and enthusiasm for the sport so yeah, yeah. yeah it's a, a little less uh you know a little less know all the things than the summer olympics but it's still pretty exciting that it's going on Um don't like the time. Skiing, yeah the
0: cross country skiing <laughs> in the past couple olympics has been fantastic that's been yeah. super fun yeah so um, very good
2: but yeah
0: I don't, I don't follow the winter Olympics as closely as you do. Um, and in I fact, mean, I don't know anybody who follows the winter Olympics as closely as you do. Um, but, uh, but I'm excited on your behalf that the winter Olympics are starting. And that's what also,
2: can we talk about the fact that like Jamaica has a bobsled team?
0: They do for the first like, time in a long time, they have a bobsled I think team.
2: 20 years or something. I mean, Jamaica, we, Jamaica, we have a bobsled team. I, we used to watch pool <laughs> ratings, like, every Saturday night.
0: The so is a great, great movie, man. I saw
2: a meme that was like, for the first, if you're, you know, if you're, uh if you were a kid in the 1980s or 90s, you'll be happy. to You'll understand how big of a deal it is that Jamaica mm-hmm. has a bobsled team. Mm-hmm. And I, the, I went googling. I was like, is this for real? Is this for real? And I like mm-hmm. searched all these sources, and it's it's everywhere. They have like they really qualified a four man. Uh, and, and, fled, the, so, and the the, so the
0: headline for all of them is about what we're describing it's like a Jamaican bobsled team's back yay one for the money two for the it's show all about cool <laughs> my mom is like everybody get your lost. lucky eggs
2: yeah. my mom wanted to have us over to watch the movie like right yeah. after we all found out but mm-hmm. now my mom has COVID so she's gonna no, have no. to watch that movie by herself <laughs> oh well
0: maybe you can get oh, together yeah. with her on zoom and watch the movie you can have like a uh, like a watch party on or something yeah right,
2: so. thankfully she's okay she's just kind of
0: got that bad cold flu stuff going on so gotcha but, my uh my sons are halfway through the last of the star wars movies they watched the nine mo- episodes and then they watch solo and they're about halfway through my favorite of all the star wars movies rogue one um and so maybe if they finish up rogue one this weekend we'll uh we'll then shift cool over running. to cool runnings so mm-hmm. i think that they would enjoy it for sure um speaking of cool runnings my thumb <laughs> i mentioned this last week on the podcast. <laughs> And I mentioned that is how my best thumb, segue
1: ever. <laughs> I'm telling
0: you, I'm a pro segue at this point. We're beyond 200 episodes. We have just celebrated the six-year anniversary of this podcast. Um, so let's
2: hear, George. What is the problem with the thumb? So
0: okay, well, the thumb, the thumb, it doesn't really hurt anymore. It was okay. hurting, it was hurting last week, but it's 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 still numb and the skin on it is hard. Um, and so initially I thought I I was like, I was like, okay, well, uh, it got too cold. And, and then I was like, well, no, I think I actually injured it. And then now I'm back to thinking that I actually, um, I didn't get full blown frostbite on it, but I think I got it frost nipped, which is, is like the step before frostbite such that, that, yeah, it's not really, I don't really have feeling in my, in my thumb at the tip of my thumb at this point. And I was reading about this week and it says that this feeling can last for, for three months or more.
2: So the good news is it'll be ready to go by next January.
0: So by next January, hopefully I will have this thumb back to full functionality. Um, but we'll see. Um, at least by the time that signups start in like October, I would like to be able to type normally. Um, but, but we'll see. We'll what see. can you not do with your thumb right now? Um, I was trying to pass out papers in my classroom over of course, the past couple of days and I can't pass out papers my thumb like like I can't I can't the way that I normally like pull the papers off the top of the pile I normally use my thumb for that and evidently that requires a great deal of proprio reception which is missing right now um because the tip of my thumb is both very hard and very numb still even though it's been you know more than 10 days since Mountain Mist. Um but speaking of Mountain Mist, another good segue. We are going to have another alumnus of the Mountain Mist 50K coming on the podcast in two weeks, right, Michelle?
2: That is true.
0: (laughs) So just give us a quick teaser on that.
2: Um, Yeah, so I reached out to, well, I had a recommendation from a friend to reach out to Corey and Corey Waltering and sent him a text message, uh, told him we have a podcast, and I ran this race last year, and it destroyed me, and my coach just ran it, and he needs a lot of therapy and I know Corey had a hard day out there. Um, And I also, I did mention to him that you came in ahead of him. So he would know that you were like, we were like legit runners. (laughs) Um, So we're going to, we're going to interview Corey um, here in a few weeks. And I'm pretty excited about that. So,
0: Yeah. That's going to be fun. And we've talked about him even before we knew we he'd are. run the race. We've talked about him on the podcast before. He is a, an ultra runner and uh, one of the few people of color um, in the ultra running world. Um, and so I think he's going to have some interesting things to share. He actually was driving from his home in Wisconsin. Is that where he lives? Um, or in northern Illinois. Um, and he drove through Alabama. And then I saw on Instagram where he ended up in Florida. So so eventually he was kind of racing to the sun, I guess you could probably say there. So all right, so we are actually recording this on February 2nd. Happy Groundhog Day to everyone here in the United States. Um, and I want to take a quick second just to check on New Year's resolutions. Um, Michelle said she doesn't do New Year's resolutions, but she was trying to approach her running in a more grounded way when we talked about New Year's resolutions. Um, and of course, the context that most of our listeners didn't have at that point is that she was getting ready to run the Houston Marathon. Um, Eric, you resolved to do a little bit more strength work and rest more.
1: Um You've done a so, little bit more strength work, like one workout more I've than done last one year, right? Workout. I think that still keeps me on a per day basis higher than last year. <laughs> so I'm good with that. But, but you have been resting more, right? Which I, which, I, which is a resolution I'm very much in support of. I, well, yes and no, because I did get, you know, we just talked about running the Okanichi mountain run on Sunday, and then I did get roped into the Team time trial, Swift race on Tuesday. So I yeah. don't really think that just sure. that was justified given my rest more. But I am I am now in a rest cycle. You know, preparing for the race I have on the thirteenth. There you go. Very good. Very <laughs> I'm good. trying. I'm definitely trying. How are you, know, you
0: doing, George? I, uh, thank you for asking. You know, I, I said that one of my uh, one of my resolutions around that was to try and eat more innovative things for breakfast. Um, and I definitely started off well with that resolution. Um, the main thing, and I remember when I said that, Eric, you said, why is this something you want to do? And and I said, I don't know. I just want to do it. Well, the real reason why I wanted to, and I thought about this after you asked me the question is that I was really trying to eat fewer processed foods, particularly at breakfast time, because I feel like that's just. That's like processed food go-to time for me, like particularly eating cereal. So I was just trying to f- figure ways to eat less cereal. Um, and I haven't had a single bowl of cereal in all of 2022 so far, which I consider to be a big win. Um, but I've cheated a little bit because I actually stopped eating breakfast entirely a couple of weeks ago.
2: Wait, the <laughs> um, point one to like revamp breakfast, not reject so, it?
0: Well, well, this is sort of a revamping, right? I mean, like (laughs) literally cutting it out of your life. And so no, as you all know, I tend to do like little experiments with the way that I eat and the way that I approach food from time to time, not only to see whether they work, um, and how I feel when I do these sort of, uh, various diet variations. Um, but also just to see what I can learn about myself. Um, and so I kind of almost on a whim decided to, to give intermittent fasting a try. Um, and so, I, so i've kicked off the year and i've been doing it for about two weeks now um, and so i finish eating at about 7 8 o'clock every night and i don't eat until 11 30 or noon the next day michelle you're looking at me like i'm insane you're looking at me the way my wife looked at me when i suggested that i give this a try Hi. <laughs> right. it hasn't been too bad it's been different it hasn't affected my energy levels um, it hasn't made me
1: feel worse on workouts but you know we'll see I, I regularly do that mm. i i'm one of those people that forgets to eat lunch <laughs> i i have to really do it by accident uh, yeah I have to really think about it you know we'll get to dinner time and I'm like man i'm pretty hungry you know mm-hmm. what says what do you have for lunch i, I, oh, yeah. I, I don't remember, <laughs> I don't
2: remember. There's, there's like decades and decades worth of scientific studies that show the benefit of just even squeezing applesauce into your mouth before you go out for a run in the morning yeah no
0: i know i know and i've done that
2: what are you doing why are you you i've
0: done that before i've done that before um and so so i i will we're gonna talk about it on the podcast once i get to about the six week mark so I've kind of I've kind of designated a, a sort of a stopping point for it that will be towards the tail end of February, basically, because I figure you have to do something for about five or six weeks to really get a sense of, of what it feels like and how it affects you and that sort of thing. Um, and so that that's about how long I did that vegan experiment. Um, and so so we're going to talk about it later on this month and, and we'll see whether I decide to keep it up or not. As far as energy levels go, I don't feel like they've been impacted. Um, as far as uh, enjoyment of life, it hasn't really been been uh, been impacted all that much either. Um, I don't think the quality of my workouts has taken a dive. I don't think my weight has changed that much, but I think there's a couple of intervening variables for that. Um, and so... Uh, I do think that that it has caused me to reflect on some of my eating habits and some of my mental habits when it comes to food, particularly first thing in the morning. Um, And so in that regard, I think it's been worthwhile. Um, But we'll see. We'll see. Michelle, you're still looking at me with a great deal of concern.
2: (laughs) Well, I'm just thinking like sugar loaf and counting backwards and trying to figure out
0: yeah, so you'll yeah, give yeah.
2: yourself you'll give yourself 10 weeks to go back. Yeah, to eating Exactly. Trouble,
0: basically. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. Fine. So, so, so Michelle, Michelle just mentioned Sugarloaf. She's talking about the Sugarloaf Marathon, which I'm doing on May 15th in Maine. We just booked our airplane tickets to Maine. As a matter of fact, we just booked our accommodations for going up there for that marathon, which I'm excited about, which I'm looking forward to. Um, we just passed the 15 weeks to go mark basically. Okay. So this, this will take us down to about 10 weeks. um and if i like it i'll just keep it going and if it's working for me i'll keep it going and and if it's not then i'm gonna go back to to other ways of of managing my diet pre-marathon that i know work for me that i've proven in the past so so i'll go back to that but but we'll we'll see you
1: do realize that a all cereals are not processed food i did know that and do you realize that b what michelle said is 100 true that eating breakfast is like the most important meal so uh yes i realize both of those things okay um, um but
2: let him do this eric he's he's, he's two <laughs> weeks in it he didn't tell us he's not stopping
0: so so there there's there's also some some research that, that demonstrates some benefits as well and so so we'll, we'll talk more about those when the time comes and when we actually spend an entire podcast talking about it um but uh but for now I think it's a worthwhile experiment. I think it's going well so far.
2: Okay. My physiological response to this is I'm starving as if I just woke up in the morning yeah, (laughs) and I just ate dinner. Well, it's,
0: it's, it's funny you say that. So, so, um, when I first mentioned this to my wife, to my mentioned to Casey, a couple of years ago, she was horrified by the idea for two reasons, both of which are legitimate. The first one is that if you have any sort of eating disorder, this can definitely trigger it, which I don't. Um, um, but she, in her mind, this is disordered eating. This is like one step away from, from anorexia nervosa. And, and I appreciate that. And I appreciate her saying that. And I appreciate that point of view. And I think that, that anybody who has had even a touch of an eating disorder in the past, this is not an approach or an experiment that they would want to do for sure. Um, secondly, she hates the feeling of being hungry. My wife does. She cannot stand that feeling that feeling doesn't bother me as much. Um, The feeling of actually like being hungry, it doesn't bother me as much. Um, I don't like the feeling of trying to stay awake um, like when I'm driving. Like, I don't like that feeling. Like when everything inside of you is saying, go to sleep, go to sleep, and you're having to force yourself to stay awake, I cannot stand that feeling. So I would never do any sort of sleep deprivation type experiment on myself here at age 47 because I wouldn't be able to stand that feeling of forcing myself to stay awake. There's also Um,
1: no there there's also no positive right <laughs> to
0: that too yeah it's easier for me to say i'd never do that experiment because nobody's doing that experiment there's no never reason hit to my hand
1: every day with a hammer
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah because um,
1: i don't like that feeling
0: too. so much integrity i have right yeah absolutely <laughs> um but but actually i don't mind the feeling of being a little bit hungry from time like that doesn't bother me as much it just doesn't yeah no. um but This conversation, of course, is to be continued. Eric, you put on our Google Doc that you have a quiz question for Michelle and George about U.S. Winter Olympic medals. I have a feeling that Michelle is going to get this trivia question and George is not.
1: I have a feeling that Michelle could do really well at this, mostly (laughs) because I gear most of my questions towards things that Michelle knows and George does not. The, The question is, what is... The only U.S. Olympics sport that has never brought home a medal. Biathlon? George, do you have a guess? Uh, I'm going to go with biathlon. (laughs) (laughs) As expected. Michelle, you nailed it. Everybody
2: knows that.
1: Yeah, duh. (laughs) (laughs)
2: They
1: all know about this.
2: Do you, t- let me ask you something. How many people have you met in your 47 years on earth that uh, did biathlon growing up?
0: Zero. Two.
2: Okay. Where were they from? Minnesota? Uh,
0: like they from North up- Dakota? Yeah. Norway?
2: Yes, exactly. <laughs> like, biathlon Canada? In Europe, like, of course it's biathlon. What is like Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know,
1: correct me if I'm wrong, but the wait, US Michelle.
0: Has- seriously though, did you just guess at the answer to that question, or did you actually know?
2: Uh, no, no. no I- you
0: made you made an educated guess.
2: No, I knew that.
1: Oh, okay, <laughs> okay. We it, correct me if I'm wrong, though. We have had world champions yeah. several, so you would you would expect that if we can have a world champion, we could have a Olympic medalist. There, how many aren't there? Is it two biathlon events? times men and women times, so there's women. there's a number of medals out there
2: so
0: and it involves yeah. shooting a gun i feel yeah. like with all the guns that we have in the united states we can't <laughs> just teach one of these people how to ski
2: okay i can attribute <laughs> this to something like what jim jim walmsley is doing where he's going over to chamonix and his whole year is basically devoted to training and living in those mountains for team. UTMB, Hayden Hawks is about to do the same thing. But anyway, but I think if a U.S. were going to bring, if a U.S. biathlon member were going to bring home an Olympic medal, they need to go and train and live with the Europeans. Okay. I just, there's just...
1: That's what cyclists and you have, have to have, do. And
2: you have to be doing it when you're like seven years old.
1: I don't know. So if you want to be a soccer player, a cyclist or a biathlete, you just <laughs> have to go live in Europe for, for, for a good period of time. Yeah, evidently. Good to know.
0: So I volunteer to be the cyclist, <laughs> Eric, you can be the soccer player and Michelle, you can be the biathlete and we can it's all get so a flat cool. together in Genoa.
2: Yeah. I didn't, I don't know. I don't really follow the sport at all, but it is, I mean, I feel like biathlon is sort of like curling when the winter Olympics come around, you just watch it because it's cool to watch. Um, but I do like the ski element. So
1: very, good. There, Very is, good. there is no sport, period. No sport as interesting to watch as curling.
2: I agree. <laughs> so- there
1: is absolutely All right. no sport as interesting to watch as curling. And notice, George, I called it a sport. It's okay. not an activity. All right. That is a sport.
0: I see the look on your face, and and I hear the tone of your voice, and this is clearly something on which you will not be challenged. That is correct. So I'm going to take you know, the word I mean,
2: for I, it. I bought into the curling hype also. I don't know anything about it. I don't know anybody's names. I don't know any of the rules, but it is fun to watch. <laughs> all
0: right. Let's talk about a couple of pieces of news that people might have missed over the course of the past week or so. There was actually a lot of things. Did you want to mention the uh, Book of the Quarter? Oh, yeah. We do want to mention the Book of the Quarter. Go ahead, Eric. Tell us all about it. you going to sing for us again? you're just gonna dance for us people can't hear that there it is oh my god what has this podcast become
2: you guys she's my friend
0: (laughs) what has this podcast become all right let's get physical um how women discovered exercise and reshaped the world by danielle friedman the book of the quarter um i have gotten distracted by matthew mcconaughey's green lights over the course of the past week and so i haven't made a whole lot of progress on uh the book of the quarter here let's get physical but i uh i do strongly recommend it to anybody who is looking for a good entry point to uh gender studies and and uh recent history so it's some pretty cool stuff um um, all right now we can talk about things that you might have missed there did the two of you see that there is a new mile world record for someone pushing a stroller it had been 457 um and now the new record thanks to a guy named rob holcomb from florida um is 4:53. So, Eric, do you think that you could put your daughter Grace in a stroller and push her to a 4:53 <laughs> mile around the track? We we could stop it. Can you
1: put your Grace daughter <laughs> in a stroller?
0: So, his daughter Greta was a little bit smaller than your daughter Grace. Uh, she is actually a baby who normally dry, rides in a stroller. um but uh, but yeah, so he uh, he ended up crushing the former world record in the stroller mile by four seconds with his four fifty three mile around a track in uh, in in Tampa, Florida. You know, I had a goal when my sons were first born that I wanted to do a five K race and try and win it, pushing them in a double stroller. And I never did it. Uh, oh, it could have been. Um, All right. Did you all see what Brittany Charbonneau, the uh, runner from Colorado, did at the Dopey Challenge?
2: Oh, did we ever. Um, So so I feel like I can relate a little bit to Brittany. Um, She had an awful (laughs) Boston. It was pretty devastating for her. Um, She's a very good marathoner, I think, low 230s. And she basically came back home and regrouped and needed something fun, which I feel like is kind of the reason I did the Disney Wine and Dine half marathon uh, a few weeks after Boston back in November. And she went there. She's a professional runner. She's sponsored by the North Face. And, you know, she did a 5K, a 10K, a half marathon, a full marathon. She had four different outfits. She actually wore a, uh, she wore Saucony road shoe, which I guess the North Face can't really say anything about because they don't exactly have a carbon plated road racing shoe.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but, and she won all four races. Yeah, so yeah. there's never been a winner um, in the history of the Dopey Challenge to win all four races uh, right out like she did. So that was really fun to follow. And it's been good to see I think it just brings a whole new perspective of, you know, she's a sponsored runner. She's a serious runner race went really bad. And she found a way to just kind of regroup and do something uh, really for the fun of it and ended up, you know, having a good time with it and doing really well. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's interesting. I've heard her on a few podcasts and it's not like she ran these races and went back to the hotel and recovered for the next day. Like she had, vip tours and i mean she was on her feet you know wasn't they went out for breakfast and brunch and i just i hope she took a lot of rest once she got home from this
0: she 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 truly did the dopey challenge because you remember we had aaron weddy come on the podcast a couple years ago and talk about the dopey challenge and she said the hardest part about it is four super early mornings in a row, followed by spending the day in the parks with your family. <laughs>
2: oh, I just, yeah. I mean, honestly, even the people that do two races back-to-back mm-hmm. seems
0: The goofy pretty... challenge. Yeah, so, that so was, she...
2: When I was there, that was the 10K and the half marathon. Mm-hmm. But two mornings in a row of getting up at three o'clock to me after just doing it once was daunting. So to know to do it four days in a row and to race at the level she raced at and to win is yeah. it's pretty awesome. Yeah, she,
0: uh, she, she won the marathon in 2.45.15, which is far from her best, but still pretty good. Eric and Michelle, I have a trivia question for both of you. So she actually really leaned into the whole run Disney thing, and she dressed up for all of the races that she ran. What character was her inspiration for her outfit in the marathon? Priscilla. Pr- Priscilla, who is that? who is priscilla from the disney movies (laughs)
1: 101 dalmatians there you go there you go eric's got it what's the what's the evil evil lady 101 dalmatians come on come on michelle you know this stuff um it is cruella cruella
0: Cruella DeVille. Is that who you were trying to think of when you said Priscilla, Yeah, totally. I don't know. Okay, very good. Yeah, Yeah, she was dressed up as Cruella DeVille, and she had two-toned hair. She had kind of white-gray hair on one side, black hair on the other side, and then wore a a white outfit that had, like, Dalmatian print on it. Um, And so um, a a pretty cool thing there as well. Um, We would be remiss, since we're talking about the Dopey Challenge, to also mention uh, that friend of the podcast, uh, Tiago Bianchini, Um, uh, who paced me during my virtual marathon on May 1st of 2021 uh, around here and helped me qualify for the uh, Abbott World Marathon Major Age Group Championships. Uh, He also did the Dopey Challenge and decided to approach it each individual race, as if he didn't have a race to do the next day, um, and even though he didn't win all four races, he finished in the top ten of all four races on the men's side. So, uh, well done, Tiago. Super impressed by that. Um, speaking of pro runners, Eric, you can tell us
1: what happened at Millrose Games. I only know one thing that happened at Millrose Games because it's the only thing that I actually cared about that was going on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Which was pretty cool, though. So go ahead. It was pretty cool. We talked about it last week or the week before um, Nick Willis trying to hit his 20th sub four minute mile in 20 years. Mm -hmm. Um, And he just missed it on the first minutes of 2022. And I blamed it and I can't even remember his name and his name doesn't matter, but whoever was the guy who he was trailing on the third lap that he should have just gotten around because the guy slowed down. And I said, on that podcast he's definitely going to do it the next time he tries and sure enough nick willis at the uh, is it it's called the wanamaker mile correct correct at the yeah. millrose games um, ran four sorry 357 2
2: no, 59.7 oh, yeah.
1: 59.7 he, basi- is-
0: he basically got it by about as much as he missed it by on yes. new year's eve or new year's day yes. yeah by by point 2 something seconds yeah. yes yeah so pretty cool so 20 years in a row from age 19 to age 39 um in which he has run a sub four mile um you think he's gonna
1: make it 21 what do y'all think definitely i think i'll make it to 25
0: 25 you think think he's gonna be able to be breaking four minutes for the mile when he's when he's
1: 44 years old i think so oh geez i don't know about that one did you what do you think the number of times he's actually broken four minutes oh it's incredible it's yeah. absolutely
0: incredible. Yeah. Yeah. No, Michelle, what do you think? Does he make it to 21? I don't know. <laughs> I, I if feel he, like- if he, if he made it to 21, it would be at age 40. And there's only one person, maybe Eamon Coughlin um, who has broken a four minute mile as a 40 year old, there might be a couple of more. Um, and so by all means, folks, if you know, other 40 plus masters runners who have run under four minutes, let us know. But uh, that would be very rarefied company if he, in fact, was able to do it for one more year. Um, the other big stars of of the Milrose Games, Michelle, were?
2: Well, we saw uh, Ajay Wilson win her, what, 87th, 800? No, I'm just <laughs> I think she's undefeated at the, at the Milrose Games. Um, yeah. so she went out, and that was good. And we saw uh, On, actually. Did mm-hmm. we talk about this a little bit last week?
0: So we didn't. Oh, because
2: she was going to right. we were on was going to debut their super spikes at Melrose. Okay. Yeah. We were were talking about
0: Helen Mm O'Beary. Yeah. So
2: on just, uh, had a killing there. Um, it was pretty good in the three K to watch, uh, Alicia come in and, you know, it's kind of a duel between the same thing we saw at cross country, uh, between her and Wayne Nicolati. And she just has an unbelievable kick. And by the last 200, you know, she won by a few seconds. Um, there's all these funny things out there that say, you know, if only they weren't, if Alicia and Wayne weren't the nicest people and it was a real rivalry and they hated each other, it'd be, it'd be more fun, but they're so nice to each other after they race and they take turns winning. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, Alicia wore that new on running super spike. And then we saw a bunch of the 1500 meter runners that were made up the team for the Olympics for the women, um, Ellie L per St. Pierre. It's mm-hmm. like a really long double last name on her bib. It's like, yeah. I've never seen so many letters on a bib, um, but she just kind of took the field uh, and had no problem coming away with the win there. And mm-hmm. on the men's side, I don't know, someone else should talk about that.
0: <laughs> so on the men's side, you had, you had Ollie Hoare when the when the Wanamaker Mile wearing uh, front from the on group. Um, I don't think he was wearing on shoes because I didn't didn't they right. say they, so they didn't have any in his problem. Yeah.
2: yeah. So on only they were all none of them were actually wearing spikes that fit their feet, but I think my understanding is Ollie's feet are so small. Uh, that he ended up just sticking with Nikes, even though he warmed up and cooled down and his on training.
0: Gotcha. And then the the men's 3000 meters, like you already mentioned, the women's 3000 meters was won by Alicia Monson wearing on spikes. The men's 3000 meters was won by George Bemis, Jordy Bemis, um, uh, who was also wearing on spikes. And so if you take the two 3000 meter races and you take both Wanamaker miles, three of those four races were won by people from on running club. So Pretty good day, pretty good start of the year for for on for sure. And yeah,
2: they're all coached by Dathan Ritzenheim out in Colorado. So it's a relatively new group, but I think we're gonna see a lot from them. I think we'll see them at USA indoors and uh obviously they are all big uh potential for the world's team this summer to go to Eugene. So yeah, it'll be great to see. Them. You know I think Very good. On's investment, you know, in in running is is really paying off, especially in the road and track stuff. So
0: Seems like it seems like it. All right. Let's talk about a couple more quick things. First thing, uh, Eric, do you think that Zwift is going to buy trainer
1: road? I think that Zwift should buy trainer road. (laughs) You know, we read, we read DC rainmakers article. I'm sure a lot of people read the article and none of them listen to this podcast, but, um, (laughs) I think he, he wove a very fine thread through some very, uh, interesting points. Um, I think it, it is a, a good matchup mm-hmm. I um, agree. between the two platforms. I think it would uh, shake up the industry a little bit. And I think it would, in the end, be better for Zwift and for Trainer Road. Mm-hmm. Um, and for those of us who are subscribers
0: to both platforms
1: right now, yeah. separately,
0: <laughs> such as myself.
1: <laughs> I think it would make people like me who is not subscribed to Trainer Road, but I'm subscribed to SufferFest. Question: yeah. Whether or not I want to be subscribed to Sufferfest anymore, right. just to do the tour of Sufferlandria every year. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think it's interesting. I, but I, you know, I, like I said, it was a very fine thread. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Basically,
0: his his um, uh, assertion that Zwift was potentially going to be buying Trainer Road was based on three things. The first thing was that the CEO of Zwift. Posted on January 12th that he was in Reno, Nevada on Instagram. Um, why Reno, Nevada, or what's in Reno, Nevada besides a whole bunch of gambling? Well, there is also the worldwide headquarters of Trainer Road. And then the next day after he was in the worldwide headquarters of Trainer Road, Zwift sent out a survey to all of his users in which they asked all of their users whether they would be willing to pay more for a Zwift service that offered all of these things that TrainerRoad offers. In fact, it used the exact same language that TrainerRoad uses, like adaptive training and make you faster and things like that um, in the actual verbiage of the survey. Um those this to me, that's
1: compelling like,
0: that was the most compelling. I agree. That was the most goal. compelling piece of evidence he offered. And then the the third piece of evidence he offered, I thought was kind of weak. And that's just basically that that some of the high-level executives at Strava or at uh, at Trainer Road and Zwift have started following each other on Strava. <laughs> um, which yeah, I feel like that's just kind of weak. I mean, you know, um, I don't plan for my college to be taking over your engineering firm anytime soon or vice versa. Um, but yet I follow you on Strava, Eric. Um, so but anyway, um, we will see. I, I agree with you. I would be interested to see the way that the, the, the offerings of each of them mesh. Um, but undoubtedly, anybody who rides on Zwift will tell you that the structured workouts on Zwift are, are not up to par with the rest of what Zwift is.
1: Um, and uh, I think well, that's they're doing what Train Road all about. And they're doing nothing to change it. Right. It's almost like they're intentionally not putting effort into it. Right. I mean, we've gone as far as, you know, a friend of the podcast, Lee Ragsdale actually built a, a, a ride around a Sufferfest ride. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a up ride that mm-hmm. Sufferfest built and he built a ride around that for Zwift. So we wouldn't have to swap platforms when warming up for Zwift races. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I thank him all the time for that because it's, a, it's an awesome way to warm up. So yeah, I I think it's it's something that they need to put more time or time and energy into. And maybe this is the way they do it.
0: Uh, I agree. I agree with you all those sorts of things. Um, All right. Last thing to talk about in case you missed it was, of course, what some of you might have seen that CJ Albertson did on Zwift uh, just over the course of the past weekend. I ran a 211 marathon on Zwift this past weekend uh, on his treadmill in his house. He started as a progression run, ran the first mile around 535, ran the last mile in 443. Um, and all told, ended up doing about a two eleven thirty marathon on his uh, on his treadmill on Zwift in his house. So, as someone who has run a marathon on Zwift, that's a pretty impressive accomplishment. Um, I will say, Michelle was underwhelmed.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of tired of the C.J. Albertson treadmill stuff. To be honest, <laughs> I don't know why. I mean, there's you know uh, a two eleven marathon is a two eleven marathon, and it's it's a great marathon. I just Wish that C.J. Albertson was as consistent on the roads as he is on the treadmill. Honestly, I, I think like
0: C.J. Albertson leading the first 20 miles of the Boston Marathon was super exciting last year, and then was, still managing to finish 10th in the yeah, top 10. Yeah, it was great I how I he hung on
2: there. Yeah. But I just have to wonder about these all-out efforts on the treadmill.
0: I you agree know, with you on. You, that.
2: I don't
0: know. I agree yeah. with you on that, okay. and and to his credit, he actually said. Um, even though he had it at you know, the, the traditional 1% incline, as people so often do on the treadmill, um, even though he did employ that, he said you know what, this was easier running on the treadmill than I think it was running on the road. He said, this is probably analogous to running about 525 pace on the road rather than 503 pace on the road, which is about what it worked out to. That's a um,
2: pretty big deal.
0: <laughs> so, so yeah, that's a, that's the difference between night and day. That's the difference between finishing the top 10 at a world marathon major and literally not qualifying for the Olympic trials in the United States. That's um, the
1: difference between a mile I could actually run and a mile I couldn't run. So do you think you could run a 503 mile? No, I can run a 525 mile. So do you think you could run a 503 mile though? I could, pr- given some time to get out of ultra mode <laughs> and get into mile so mode. Do a I little
0: bit, do, do some fast workouts. You think you'd be there?
1: It'd, be a little, it'd take a little while. All right,
0: all right. Very good, very good. So tonight we did want to talk about cold weather running, like we said we wanted to. And I figure what better way to talk about, or at least kick off talking about cold weather running than to talk about how we feel about it. Now, Michelle, you like cold weather running, right? Don't you prefer cold weather running? Isn't it your favorite time of the year to run is when it's like 20 degrees?
2: I mean, I think you get a little zealous with this. 20 degrees is cold. I definitely am a big fan of, you know, 30 to 42 ish. I, once it gets over 42 or 43 degrees, I start getting this dread or this fear of spring is coming and then the hot summer months are coming. So I am really happy on uh, anything in the thirties, upper twenties, really lower forties. I, I mean, there's times where I don't even want to run or feel like running, but I just want to be out there in that freezing cold weather. So it makes the run like worth it. It makes like, I, I just get so excited. I can't explain it.
0: That's the part I don't get. Okay, I so so so, so the, the first part about okay when the weather starts warming up and you begin dreading the summer. And I and I I agree with you that here in Atlanta when it gets well over 90 degrees and and when we have to finish runs, particularly the long runs when it's over 80 degrees, I agree that can be drudgerous and awful. Um, And so dreading that. Yeah, I can see how that would drag you down. It's that second part that I don't understand when you're nice and warm and cozy in your bed and you're like, oh, it's 28 degrees outside. I want to leave this nice, warm, cozy bed at 430 a.m. and go actually out into the cold weather.
2: So it's not like either or it's not like I want to leave this nice, warm, cozy bed. It's like I would love to stay in my bed, but I would rather go outside and run in this weather not necessarily more, but like, I can stay in my bed 365 days a year living in Atlanta. There's, there's really not, even though we get these long, you know, eight or 10 day stretches, we don't really have that many days where it's like a freezing cold run where I'm sorry, but like most people aren't going to go out in it. Most people are either going to skip the workout or they're going to run on the treadmill. But I think if you have you know, the right gear and the right accessories for cold weather running Then being out there in the freezing cold is, I mean, it's just so cold. It feels so good. It's like all those studies about taking freezing cold showers for three minutes. It's like, you could just go run for an hour in the freezing cold and it's great. I don't know.
0: (laughs) Again, I was with you until the very last thing you said. So, so, so do tell me this though. Um, So throughout my running career, go ahead.
2: I think there's sort of just like this, almost just like some type of badass feeling when it comes to it. That's
0: what I was going to say.
2: Okay.
0: <laughs> so, so, so throughout my running career, there have been times, a lot of times when I've kind of, even recently where I've sort of embraced the, okay, it's kind of crazy, but you know what? I'm kind of crazy too. Um, <laughs> and, and it's just like, like runners are sort of cut from a different cloth. Like this whole idea of a most pleasant exhaustion, like, like that whole concept is a little bit contradictory and ludicrous. Um and there are times when I kind of embrace it. Is is that kind of part of it is that you sort of know it's crazy but yeah, it's like I mean, it's like a kind of crazy that you want to be proud of and you want people to think you're sort of crazy?
2: Yeah, I just like the cold weather. I like cold weather sports. I like every part of getting dressed to go run in the cold like am I going to wear a base layer? Am I not? What gloves am I going to wear? What hat am I going to wear? How cold am I going to be when I get home and get in the shower and is the hot water going to burn my skin? It's just <laughs> It's, it's fabulous. Also like who doesn't want to go for a long cold run and then drink a really hot drink after? Like it just feels so good.
1: You can Drink the hot drink without doing the long cold run. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, lost me again. I, Eric, Eric, do you like running in the cold weather? Do you like winter running? I do not mind running okay. in cold weather. And I'll say this, when I towed the line for that 10 miler on Sunday, I was wearing shorts, right? I had, my, I had my half tights. I had mm. my tracks. You're one, my you're, you're, one
0: of, you're one of those people.
1: Well, yeah. <laughs>
0: one of those shorts people in the cold weather.
1: <laughs> that, that was my claim to fame. I found out after the race that I was the first person to finish wearing shorts. Oh, there you go. <laughs> the guy who
0: finished uh, one place in front of me at Mountain Fist finished wearing shorts and a singlet.
1: I saw that guy in the pictures. And that guy, I don't know what's wrong with him. But there's something seriously wrong with that person. <laughs>
0: Evidently, evidently, but, but for you, it's not that you like really enjoy the cold weather and look forward no, to the cold weather. Right. But, but yeah. given
1: the given the choice, spring and fall, south, southeast spring and fall are my favorite times yeah. to run. Yeah, when the season's changing, and I like because the sun's out late in the day and you can still get your run in, it's not cold, I can still wear shorts and a t shirt. I'm not sweating, you know, it's not the hot, humid, or just the flat out humid times that we get here in the Southeast. That is my favorite time to run. When we hit the extremes, we're getting down into the 30s, or we're getting up into in the 90s. That's when I'm right, I, I can't put enough clothes on or take enough clothes off and be appropriate. And that's not when I want to run. That
0: That's kind of the way I am. I really enjoy, and, and I don't think this makes either one of us very unique, I really enjoy the spring and the fall when it's temperate and, and just lovely, right? Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't prefer the spring or the summer over the winter. Um, but always in the summer, I'm always like, oh, I can't wait to get to the winter when it's going to be cooler. And then we get to the winter, I'm like, oh my god, why do I like the winter? I cannot wait for it to be summer. Right? See, I, I don't do either um, one of those, things. and I don't, and 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 exactly what you just described. I actually don't like either one of
1: them. Yeah, you're um, not waiting it's, for the winter. It's, I, I can't wait for the fall. Right, and I can't wait for spring. You, right. the, the winter part and the summer part are just off. All- yeah. I agree with you on that. I
0: agree with you on that. Um, and and I think there's a wide variety of reasons for that. Um, you know, I, I, am, I am and I have always been very comfortable on the treadmill, um, as you all both know, and as anybody who listens to this podcast knows, I actually end up running more on the treadmill during the summer than I do during the winter. Okay. Um, because during the summer, you can't, during the winter, you can run at any time of day, 24 hours a day. If you have the right clothes, you can go ahead and put them on. You can't do that during the summer. During the summer in Atlanta, you cannot go for a run at 3 o'clock in the afternoon on a typical August day. You can't. It's too hot. Um, And so those are the days where I end up on my treadmill. I feel like I, I am forced onto the treadmill more in the summer than I actually am on the winter. Anyway. Um, all right. So let's talk about a few different things. We want to talk about things that you should keep in mind when you're actually going into cold weather running. Um, and of course, I know both of you like to talk about gear and clothing. Uh, Michelle, didn't you even say at one point that, that, that if you had to do it all over again, you would be like a gear consultant for cold weather running gear.
2: I mean, I think I would be a gear consultant just uh, for all types of running gear. All right.
0: Very, good. Very good. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's talk about some things to take into account. First thing to take into account is what cooler temperatures actually do to your muscles. Um, the sweet spot for races, as both of, as, as most of us know, is probably somewhere in the forties. Um, for, for super high level runners, it might be even a little bit lower than that, but if you're looking for a perfect temperature to run a race and to run your best performance after you've warmed up, it's somewhere probably around 45 to 50 degrees there, but there is all sorts of research that's been done. There was a study in 2014, another one in 2008, another in 2004, another in 2002, um, that show all about the ways that, that your body is, not able to function the way that it would normally function when uh, it is cold. Um, You lose maximal strength. You lose proprioception. It affects your efficiency. It affects your ground contact. um, And all of these things put together can lead to a higher risk of injury. And so you need to make sure before you do some sort of cold weather run that you do warm up with some amount of dynamic stretching and that you do that inside. You don't go stand outside and get all cold while you're doing some dynamic stretching, but rather you do a little bit of that inside. Another thing to be mindful of in cold weather that I think that we tend not to be very mindful of in cold weather is dehydration. Um, um, So often I will finish a cold weather run, particularly if I haven't followed the gear suggestions of my fellow podcasters, I will be sweating as much, if not more, than I would be if I had run during the summer. The difference is, is you don't get as thirsty in the winter. And even though you're sweating just as much, particularly if you're also doing indoor workouts, which I know all three of us do, um, you're still getting as dehydrated and still carrying as much dehydration potentially from day to day to day without actually getting thirsty and without actually drinking as much water throughout the course of the day. So dehydration is something else you wanna make sure that you're always thinking about too when it comes to winter. You have elevated blood pressure in the cold weather. And so be mindful of that in the data that you are taking. Cold, dry air as you breathe it in could cause like bronchospasms. And so that, that could lead you to just coughing and that sort of thing, uh, something to be mindful of as well. Um, and there is something called non shivering thermogenesis. Um, non shivering thermogenesis is basically your body warming itself or having to take extra energy to warm itself when you're actually in the cold. Um, and that requires more energy. Than it would to simply go out for a run. And so if you're particularly doing a long run, or if you're doing a long bike ride, you need to make sure you're fueling your body during the run or during the ride itself, not only the way that you normally would during the spring or the fall when it's more temperate, but even a little bit extra, because your body is using more energy to actually heat itself up. Um, And so that's something to keep in mind as well.
2: But this also becomes, I think, really important if you are in a situation where you're at the starting line of a race and you're outside and you have to be there really early and there is no place to stay warm. I mean, you literally, like I would tell people to bring an extra bagel to the start line because you are going to shiver and you are going to be cold and you are going to burn through whatever you ate for breakfast just in order to maintain that body temperature. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm always, I try to be cognizant of that. I think that's
1: smart. I think that's that was really smart. I've never thought of that. That is really smart.
0: I think that's super smart. Um, and we should also mention here, and this is the last thing I'll mention before turning it over to you all to talk about gear, is that there is such a thing as cold habituation. That that the panic reactions that your body has and the physiological responses that your body goes through when you go in when you get out in the cold, um, those are worse at the start of the winter than they are halfway through the winter or at the end of the winter the tail end of the winter Um, and so you can become more habituated to cold weather as time goes on Um, unfortunately cold habituation doesn't have a performance benefit in the same way that heat acclimation does heat acclimation if you go through heat acclimation exercises it can actually benefit you whether you're racing in the heat or not cold habituation unfortunately does not Um, so training in cold weather is not necessarily going to give you a physiological boost that will benefit you in more temperate weather, the way that training in hot weather will besides of course, just maybe making it tougher. But if you stick with it through the first month or so, when you know, it's going to be particularly cold and you're going to be particularly miserable because you're not habituated to it, um, your body will come around. And of course your mind will come around as well. All right, so you're keeping all of those things in mind. You're keeping in mind the thermogenesis. You're keeping in mind the dehydration. You're keeping in mind the the need to warm up and to make sure that you are uh, not risking injury with with cold joints or cold muscles. Um, All the various things that I just mentioned here. Um, What sort of gear will help you accomplish all of those things? Michelle, Eric. Go ahead, Eric. So I think...
1: I think of, of staying warm as a core temperature exercise. And, and the reason I say that, and Michelle's nodding, and we've, we've had this conversation specifically with George very recently is that you can put the thickest gloves you want on your hands, but if you're not keeping your core warm, your body is going to cut off the blood flow to your hands anyway. Uh, so when you listen to what, you know, we're, we can go through some different, you know, different layers you might want to wear, but when you, when we go through this, you got to think about, it's about keeping the core warm because that's essential. And that's where your that's where your heart is. That's where your lungs are. That's where your gastro track is. You need to keep all of that stuff as close to a comfortable warm temperature as possible because that's your engine. That's where things are going to go wrong. And it also is going to keep the blood flowing down to your feet, your toes, your hands, your fingers, which either could become a performance issue or could just be a very uncomfortable issue. And you're going to find yourself whining about the tip of your thumb being uh, numb and not being able to pass out papers. So, Michelle, thoughts? Yeah,
2: so I typically... Hold up. What?
0: I'm not just going to let that go by. (laughs) (laughs) i'm just trying to come up with a good comeback and i can't come up with one but just know mr hall i caught that
2: okay Okay. sorry to interrupt you michelle go ahead so my recommendation is uh keeping the core warm you know keeping a base layer close to the skin and i think that undeniably merino wool just wins uh in every way shape and form for this type of uh, piece of clothing. And, you know, you can, I say I would love to work for smart wool one day. If anyone knows if they have a CFO or controller position open, let me know. But I'm a huge fan of smart wool base layer. It is a little bit pricey. You can find Merino wool at Costco, like 32 degrees, makes a men's base layer, a women's base layer. Um, And I would definitely just advise, you know, if it's cold, I think anytime it drops, you know, below 35, even really in the upper 30s, if you just want to wear it alone, wool is it wicks, it doesn't make it cold. Once you get sweaty, it doesn't smell. I mean, I know some of those tracksmith gurus, they wear the same <laughs> um merino wool base layer for three, four, five runs. And as long as you just hang it up when you're done, you don't throw it on a bathroom floor. If you just hang it up and let it dry out, it's not gonna smell. So I feel like every single person who runs in the winter should have some form of merino wool base layer in their collection.
1: And I agree 100%. I have the cheap Costco 32 degree. It's great. (laughs) I have the smart wool um, thicker base layer. And I have I have one that's kind of in between. And I don't even know who the manufacturer of that one is. But I think that's something that people you know I, I'd say people who don't run in the cold often totally miss and and if they do, they're gonna be miserable because yeah. th- the beauty of wool is even soaking wet wool will keep you warm yeah and, and and that's the key the the trick though, and we, you know we talked to George about this and is that that base layer needs to be appropriate thickness for the temperature you're gonna be running in. and it takes you know my thick smart wool is something that, I don't wear until it's really cold <laughs> and it's more of a hiking thing because you just generate so much warmth, um, when you're running. Um, but you need to get something over that because especially, you know, on your chest, um, that wet layer can't be all that you're wearing uh, because what will happen is you will, the winds just going to go right through it. And then it's, it's, it's not as useful. So, you know, I, rec- what we recommended to George and what I recommend to anybody is some sort of vest over that at the very least, um, in the, in the race that I ran, uh, you know, I told you it was 14 degrees at the start. I had a very thin Tech North face vest over a long sleeve, you know, running shirt that was over a very thin smart wool. Actually, it was my 32 degree, uh, Merino wool base layer. and the it was perfect i think it was perfect but you had to put something over that merino wool layer because once it does get wet if the wind's blowing through it you will just
2: go right through
1: yeah you will get cold um so but but you don't want a whole lot of insulation there you just want something that prevents the wind from coming through that so uh, uh, non-insulated vest or or a jacket over that or both is what george ran in for his uh his 50 K I think that that's a really good, that's a really good combination. Uh, I do recommend though, whatever you put over that um, you, you wear it with a full zipper. And the reason why I say that is that when you hit um, a hill, when you hit a hard section, when you hit an area where you're going to work a little bit harder, you want to be able to unzip that layer and possibly, you know, take advantage of a little bit of that cooling that you're going to need. So uh, I feel like it's important to be able to do that without having to pull something off. You may have to. And again, if you do that, a full zipper will help you get it off, but I think um, you want a full zip so you can start to get a little bit of cooling in there.
2: Yeah. Yeah, And I would say, you know, if you're going to buy one other piece of Merino wool, I'd probably go with uh, like a brief or a pair of underwear. Um, I mean, most women's running tights have a gusset in them. I don't think, the majority of women probably don't even wear underwear, but I think the additional uh, merino wool base layer—you know—if you can get a pair of wool shorts on under tights, um, or even just a brief, it just makes such a difference on that really, really cold day. So I feel I'd go for the shirt first, but if you're going to pick up a second piece, then I pick up that bottom layer to put underneath your tights.
1: What do you think about gloves, mittens? <laughs> what do you think? one or two pair so how many Uh, pairs of gloves do you own (laughs)
0: seriously you have one so you said that your your ideal temperature is from like 28 to 42 i think you have one for each of those individual degrees
2: Yeah, yeah so at 42 degrees i'd wear uh the north face makes them it's it's just a polar tech um I forget what they're called. It's a, I have a really old pair, but a bunch of different brands make them, but it's like they're $30 pair of gloves. So I'd probably wear those. And then like 35 to 42, I'm wearing the same type of glove, but it has like a mitten over it. So I'm sure a bunch of people have seen those. It's sort of like a two in one. And then once we get down below freezing, I'm wearing a kind of like a a pretty insulated mitten. It's not, it wouldn't work for skiing. It's not, you know, warm enough, for that, but it's pretty, it's pretty close to that. And man, my hands are just warm and toasty. And there's so <laughs> many other parts of my body that if if my hands aren't freezing and they're not going numb, I can withstand, you know, other parts being cold. Um, for something like George started and it was, you know, 14 degrees. We were big on throwing hand warmers, uh, just having them in there. And as George mentioned last week, it's, you know, one of those. Uh, pieces of gear that you might not think that you need until you decide it's a little bit too warm and toss them. And then you're like, oh man, now my hands are freezing. <laughs> so definitely exactly. in the lower 20s and teens, I'd throw a pair of hand warmers uh, in a pair of mittens. But, but yeah, I think once you get below freezing, I'm a full mitten type of person. So uh, how many pair? I probably have seven pairs. Um, you know that's normal
1: so. i wasn't guessing george she's taking a picture <laughs> sent him what what brand so the the
0: third set of gloves you mentioned basically the, th- the the third set of gloves that you wear in the coldest temperatures that you find to be desirable which is yeah. basically high 20s what, so, what kind of I mean, what kind of gloves are those
2: so it's a it's a was super puff mitten a bunch of companies make the same type of thing and they just they rebranded it's got the same type of polar tech in it is um but i'm sort of loyal to to wazelle when i can be And this this mitten that they make happens to be unbelievably amazing so
1: um what about hats y'all well before you move on to hats just for a second george so uh, to, to offer an alternative um i in this last race i ran and i've done this once before i uh actually wore a pair of surgical gloves under a pair of light, uh, polar tech gloves. And the reason why I do that, and you know, I have what's called Renaud's disease, which basically means that my, the blood flow to my fingers cuts off before everybody else's does it can be 60 degrees in my house and my fingers turn white. Um, so I'm really careful about this, but what, um, what that does more than anything is it prevents your hands from ever not getting wet, but even if they sweat, that sweat doesn't wick. It doesn't evaporate. It's, it's trapped around your hand. So you don't get that evaporative effect, which causes your hands to, to get really cold. And the second thing about it is my hands actually sweat a lot. So in 14 degrees, I, I almost thought I was a little crazy when I saw the, the, the temperature. But in 14 degrees, that's what I had, a pair of surgical gloves and a pair of very thin Polartec gloves over them. And that was perfect for that race. So for an hour and 15 minutes of racing, that's what I had. Now, I guess I should add to that hand warmers. Um, You know, a lot of people will put that hand warmer inside the glove and they'll put it in the palm of their hand, which is probably a good place to put it. But some people don't think about is when you're running, it's actually the outside of your hand that's catching that wind that could be getting colder than the inside of your hand. So I actually like to put the hand warmer on the outside, the back side of my hand. So I tuck it in there between. I tucked them in there between the uh, surgical glove and the other outer glove, and then I right before the race started, I, I put another pair of hand warmers on the inside of the gloves, um, on the on the palm also. And, uh, and that worked really well. And uh, so I just, I offer that as an alternative. I do think mittens and definitely the uh, brand and the type of mitten that Michelle's talking about are a good investment and they will keep your hands warm um, during during really cold weather, whether you're running or not. So just offer that up as an alternative. Very good, very good. Now hats.
2: I actually prefer... Um, like a merino wool earband over a hat. But I think below, once it gets to the low 30s, then I'm probably gonna wear a hat just because so much of your body warmth escapes, you know, from your head. Um, Having a full hat on can really make a big difference. But if I'm talking what I prefer to wear, the style that I like better, I definitely want an ear warmer. And if it's really cold, I would do an ear warmer that's kind of got a piece of fleece insulation on the back of it. Um, But, you know, the pom-pom hats are fun. They look cute sometimes, (laughs) keep you warm. (laughs) Uh, The problem with the full hat for me is I just, I still sweat so much in the winter and it gets, it gets cold. It gets really cold. And I found that the earband just, as long as I can keep that freezing cold air and wind out of my ears, it does a lot for me. So, but I, I switched it around. I don't know if there's a right or wrong. I think just have something on your head.
1: (laughs) I have a couple of very thin, uh, hats. I have a, a polar tech North face, really thin hat. And then I have a, a wool hat. And I can't even tell you where it came from, what it is. It's, it's not a real thick one, but it's just a wool hat. And it needs to be 30 degrees or less for me to put either of those on. Um, and the reason for that is I sweat profusely through yeah. my head and it ends up being a soaking mass and actually then it, <laughs> it all down your back, you know, so it, it yeah, or it'll freeze, which is pretty uncomfortable, but that's, that's about all I'm going to wear. Um, you know, and then when it gets under 30, you want to keep that heat in. So I think that's important. I agree with Michelle. Definitely under 30. It's a hat. All right. Two more questions I have for both of y'all. First one, do you
0: ever wear anything on your face, like a gaiter or something like that? And I'm not talking about for COVID-19 purposes. I'm talking about to keep your cheeks warm or to keep your your, your 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 face warm.
2: I have and occasionally will wear a neck gaiter if it's in the 20s. But the only time I've ever actually worn, you know, a full like a baklava, like a face gaiter would be uh, skiing, never mm-hmm. running. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: But you will wear one in order to keep your your neck warm.
2: Yeah, I have like, I even have a fleece lined neck warmer. I'll definitely, that makes a big difference. I mean, there's a lot of warmth that escapes just from the top of a jacket and a shirt, you know, up to your chin. And if you can throw on a neck gaiter um, over the, you know, where the the jacket or the shirt ends before where your mouth begins, so to speak, it's not going to keep your, you know, your teeth from freezing and your mouth from feeling the cold air, but it does just keep another layer of warmth in. So I definitely, but that's, it's got to be cold. It's got to be low 30 or below 30. Cause that is, that keeps me real warm. So
1: yeah. Eric, do you, I wore, yeah, I wore a neck gaiter. I really wore the, the blue Ridge relay uh, mm-hmm. COVID gaiter that we were given. I had mm-hmm. something very similar to that. It was from fleet feet, but it was very similar to that. It was interesting was I warmed up with that on like mm-hmm. over my mouth and nose and I thought I was re- it was going to really bother me, and it didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but when the race started, I pulled it down because I I had this f- feeling that it was going to get really moist and freeze. Mm-hmm. So I pulled it down and kept it just around my neck, and I think that was really beneficial. Actually, mm-hmm. I've never I've never run with something like that on, um, and I think that really helped. Though I think that kept my neck warm, mm-hmm. and it and kept me from having that like deep cold feeling in the back of my throat or or on the back of my neck or whatever, um, that I've had before. So I I do think a gator around your neck can be beneficial in that, you know, 20, sub 20 degree weather.
0: I'm going to be asking Corey Waltering the same question, uh, in just a couple of weeks, um, since he runs in cold weather, a great deal. Um, he's
1: wearing a gator. I saw a picture of him. I think so
0: too. Yeah. I think so too. All right. And last question. Um, when you're dressing for cold weather on the bike, you pretty much want to be warm when you get on the bike because of the wind and it just gets really, really, really cold. But when you're getting dressed to go for a run in the cold, it's okay to be a little bit cold when you first step outside, right? Right. Um, how do you all actually conceptualize that? For example, I, I saw it written somewhere that you should dress as if it's 15 degrees warmer than what it actually is. Like, how do you all conceptualize that, and how do you make those determinations based upon the temperature?
2: My experience in the winter is the 15 degrees warmer than it actually is applies much more so during the daylight when the sun is out, but not really much at all if you're running. Um, you know, I mean, the day daylight's pretty short here at some points in the year, but if you're running before 7am or, or after 5pm, uh, once the sun goes down or, or if you run before the sun even comes up, I mean, once it's cold, it's cold. You know, I don't, I think there's a point where about 15 degrees, if it's 35, you can't dress if it's 50, if it's 50, I'm probably going to wear shorts and long sleeves. You know, mm-hmm. I can't go run easy in 35 degrees and you know, two thin layers like that and be comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it was 35 degrees and the sun was out and it was midday, you know, you can warm up pretty quickly just from the sun. So mm-hmm. I take that with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm.
1: Eric. Yeah, I would I I've never used that philosophy. I think the way I look at it is how fast am I gonna be running? Mm-hmm. Is the sun gonna be out? Or is the sun gonna be out in the beginning and then not in the end? And I try to wear something I can adjust. To that with. So much like I said, full length zippers are a big deal. I want to be able to zip up, zip down, carry a jacket in the back if I have to, or be able to pull my sleeves up or pull my sleeves back down. Something like that to adjust to what's going on while I'm out there. Because we all know, you know, you start a run at five o'clock, well, 4, 4.30 around this time of year. If you're going to run for an hour, hour and a half, you're going to be in the dark at the end of that run and the temperature is going to drop at least 10 degrees. How do you, h- how do you use that rubric given that change in conditions? You, you right. can't. Right. So I, I try to just judge that and say, how much do I need at the end of the run worst case? And then how can I adjust to that during the run?
2: Yeah. And I would also say what you said about how fast are you going to be running is, is really critical. I mean, if I'm doing kind of what I'm doing now, I'm wearing a lot of clothes because I'm, my heart rates in like the 130s let's say so i'm just not uh getting anywhere near as much body heat being generated from being on the run as i would if i were running faster or running even just like some pickups in my run so most of the time you know i might wear whereas if i was doing a workout i might wear a vest that i could take off and just wrap up and hold or something i'd wear like a full jacket instead uh, just to run an easy cold run over a base layer so
1: i agree you know, when I was doing the pre run, uh, recon for this race, this weekend, I went out it was eight o'clock at night and I'm out there running on the mountain in the dark, I was wearing a puff jacket <laughs> zipped all the way up because I'm just kind of trotting along and then race day, 14 degrees, I'm wearing a base layer, super thin uh, shirt over that and a light vest. So it, it depends on temperature sun in. Or sun out, uh, change over the course, pace. How long are you going to be out there? And whether it's raining. <laughs> yeah, oh, <that's> a whole <laughs> all bets
0: are off. We're
2: not even going there.
0: Treadmill day. <laughs>
2: Tune in next week.
0: <laughs> all right, uh, thanks, y'all. Very informative and very interesting. Michelle, final word.
2: Um, we have a little bit of a warm spell coming through the next two days. I'm actually, it literally looks like it's going to be so warm tomorrow that, and wet that I'm planning to run on the treadmill and watch a show. So I'm very into figuring out what am I going to watch? Cause I haven't been on the treadmill. The winter know.
0: Olympics, Michelle.
2: Yeah. That's one thing. Uh, I'm part of one of the things that I did differently was I wasn't willing to I wasn't going to do anything on the treadmill leading up to Houston. So I haven't been on the treadmill in like four months, hmm. but, uh, you know, the warmer it gets, the more treadmill running I do. So bring back winter.
1: There you <laughs> go. Eric, final word. I'm going to keep it under 200 Watts and on Zwift for a couple more days, get some recovery in, and then I'll start building up for, uh, the race on the 13th. Very good. So Very good. Well about the rest
0: i have started looking forward to the race that you and i are going to do the following 13th on march the 12th and 13th uh, that weekend the 10 by 5k will be here before we know it eric yes it will Um, thanks y'all for being here michelle it's always a pleasure have a good night guys eric i won't forget what you said about me i love you too george thanks everybody thanks again for listening to the most pleasant exhaustion podcast you can find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Pleasant Podcast, on Twitter at Pleasant Podcast, or on Instagram, Most Pleasant Exhaustion. We're available on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcast, or Spotify, so share us with your friends. Don't forget that we're sponsored by ITL Coaching and Performance, who you can find at ITLCoaching.com, on Twitter at ITL Coaching, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash ITL Coaching Performance, and on Instagram, ITL Coaching. We're also sponsored by Blue Pineapple Travel, bluepineappletravel.com, facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, and on Instagram, bluepineappletravel. And finally, don't forget, we're sponsored by SlayRx. That's slayrx.com, facebook.com slash here for slayrx That's the number four, SlayRx. Twitter, at official SlayRx, and Instagram, here for slayrx the number four, SlayRx. Discount code PLEASANT22. On behalf of Michelle Frank, Patrick Ollinger, and Eric Hall, I'm George Darden. Thanks for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast.